You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. God has both the power and the plan to keep His promises. And the writer's purpose is so that we might be encouraged to keep trusting in him and those promises. Uh, But he starts with God's promise of a child. Um, I've got um, your version on a sheet if you want, and there's an outline on the back. Uh, So we're at point one, but also verse one. Have a look there. As we heard, the Lord appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. He looked up, he saw three men standing near him, and when he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them, bowed to the ground, and said, My Lord, if I have found favour with you, please do not go past your servant. Let a little water be brought, that you may wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. I will bring out a bit of bread so that you may strengthen yourselves. And this is why you have passed your servant's way. Later you can continue. Yes, they replied, do as you say. Uh, Verse 1, we're told that the Lord appeared to Abraham. Uh, This phrase marks a new section uh, in our story so far that really runs to the end of chapter 19. So this week's chapter and next week's chapter really belong together. Uh, the three men we meet today will meet again next week. Um, but this chapter begins with Abraham sitting at the entrance of his tent because it was the coolest part to sit at. It was in the heat of the day. And he sees these three men, one of whom is the angel of the Lord, um, who speaks for God himself. Uh, the other to- two we're told in chapter 19, verse 1, were just normal angels. But it seems Abraham immediately recognises them as being from God, doesn't he? Because despite being 99 years old, did you notice what he did in the heat of the day? He runs, verse 2, to meet them. He bows down towards them. And while in verse 5 he offers them a little bit of water and a bit of bread, look what he actually gets his wife to prepare for them. Verse 6. So Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, Quick, knead three measures of fine flour and make bread. Abraham ran to the herd and got a tender choice calf. He gave it to the young man who hurried to prepare it. Then Abraham took curds and milk as well as the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. He served them as they ate under the tree. Uh, Did you notice what he brings them? Three measures of flour, that's 21 kilos of flour. That's a whole lot more than a bit of bread. And notice it's fine flour, good quality flour. Verse 7, he selects a tender choice calf. This is good quality meat and lots of it. I mean, how many men are there? Three. Even if three men who love their meat, a whole calf is loads, isn't it? The point is, Abraham recognises These men are from God because he rightly serves them his best, doesn't he? And I wonder if this is a little bit of a reminder for us. Do we recognise who God is and serve him 
with our best. You know, do we seek to live his way to the best of our ability, even when it's hard? Uh, Do we give him the best of what we can, even when it costs? Or do we do our best to meet with his people every week, even when we have to wear masks? You see, Abraham recognises these men are from the Lord, and instead of laughing like he did in chapter 17, he rightly serves them with his best. But it seems Sarah has not yet come to this point. And so they deliberately bring her into the picture. Have a look at verse 9. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he answered. The Lord said... I will certainly come back to you in about a year's time and your wife Sarah will have a son. Now God said almost the exact same thing to Abraham back in chapter 17. And so repeating the promise here is not for Abraham. Rather it's for Sarah. Because it seems like they've brought her into the conversation out of nowhere. You know they're eating their meat and their bread, drinking their water. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, where's your wife, Sarah? It's out of the blue, isn't it? It's almost as though to get her listening in to the conversation. You know how when someone mentions your name and you're just in earshot and your ears prick up? If I said, noon, well, suddenly he's listening now. I know he was listening before, I think. Actually, I can't even see him with the mask on. I don't know where he is. Um, But that's what you get that, don't you? Someone mentions your name, suddenly your ears prick up and you listen. And that seems to be what's happening here. The men seem to ask about Sarah to make sure she's listening and hears the promise about the child. Either because she hasn't heard it before or, more likely, she's finding it too hard to believe. For in verse 10 we continue to read, Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent behind him Abraham and Sarah were old and getting on in years. Sarah had passed the age of childbearing, so she laughed to herself, after I am worn out and my Lord, my husband, is old, will I have this delight? You see, she laughs because this promise is just too hard to believe. Abraham is 99, Sarah is 89. She says their bodies are worn out. I mean, imagine your grandparents sitting you down and saying, we've got some great news, we're expecting another child. And although they lived longer back then, clearly, even for them, this is ridiculous. It's too hard to believe. And so to help her believe, to help her to trust God's promises, God reminds her of his power and plan. Verse 13. But the Lord asked Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, can I really have a baby when I'm old? Is anything impossible for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will come back to you, and in about a year, she will have a son. Sarah denied it. I did not laugh, she said, because she was afraid. But he replied, no, you did laugh. I love how Sarah denies it. 
Uh, it's our, often our first instinct, isn't it? If we're busted for doing something wrong, we're fearful of getting in trouble, of doing the wrong thing. So we just, no, I didn't drink out of the bottle of the fridge, which is what my son does all the time. But notice, God doesn't punish her for lying, does he? He just reminds her she did laugh. In fact, her son's name, Isaac, you know what the name Isaac means, don't you? He laughs. That's what the name Isaac means. And so it seems God wants both Abraham and Sarah to remember they both laughed. Abraham in chapter 17, Sarah in chapter 18. Why? Well, so that when Isaac is born, they might remember that even a seemingly laughable promise like this one is not impossible for the Lord. See verse 14 again. Is anything impossible for the Lord? Of course not. In other words, he has the power to do anything. You see, his promises might sometimes seem too hard for us to believe, too impossible to come true, even laughable, but nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is too hard for him. He has the power to keep them. But he also has a plan to keep them. Because did you notice also in verse 14 that he'll keep his promise at the appointed time? Do you see that there? You see, God always had an appointed time, a plan to keep his promise of this child. And so God wants Sarah to know that he has both the power, he can do anything, and a plan at his appointed time to keep his promises so that she might keep trusting in him. And it's the same for us. As I said at the start, God's promises to us can sometimes be too hard to believe, can't they? Now, for example, the promise of Jesus to return in a blaze of glory, us living forever in a new creation, ruling the world with Christ. It's laughable to a non-Christian, isn't it? What are you talking about? And sometimes it's even hard for us as a Christian to believe. Especially when we see Christians in this world being oppressed and ridiculed or our state taking away our religious freedoms bit by bit. You know, will Jesus return? Is Jesus really Lord? You know, does that promise up there? Is that really true? <laughs> or when we suffer, is it, it's sometimes hard, too hard to believe that God's promise is to work for our good. You know that famous verse, Romans 8.28, in all these things, God works for the good of those who love Him. Really? I can't see it. Or when our prayers seem to go unanswered, it's sometimes too hard to believe God's promise that He always hears our prayers. We think He's either ignoring me, or I'm not praying right, or whatever it is. See, when God's promises seem too hard to believe, remember, nothing is too hard for God. We need to also remember to read those promises in the context of the Bible, which helps us to understand them. Like God's good, working for our good, is to make us like Jesus, not to have a million dollars and own a Ferrari. I'd love to drive a Ferrari one day. Anyway, beside the point. But nothing is too hard for God. He can keep his promises. And he has a plan to keep his promises. He will keep them at his appointed time, not ours. And so we can keep trusting him. And not just keep trusting in God, but also keep living righteous lives for God. This was especially important for both Abraham and Sarah. 
Because God's power and plan also included using their righteousness to keep his promise of blessing to the nations. So point to verse 16. The men got up from there and looked out over Sodom and Abraham was walking with them to see them off. Then the Lord said, should I hide what I am about to do uh, from Abraham? Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation, uh, the nation of Israel, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense and their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me. If not, I will find out. And so the men turned from there, went towards Sodom, while Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Uh, Now, God already knows what Sodom and Gomorrah are like. And next week, uh, you'll know... Uh, what they're like too in chapter 19. And so he doesn't really need to come down and find out. It's just the process that he's going through and bringing Abraham along with him. Rather, the language of coming down to see is the language of coming down to judge. Uh, So on the next slide, um, sorry, you're going to have to do it for me. Next one, yep. Uh, That's what we saw back in chapter 11. Do you remember? The Lord came down to see the city, the Tower of Babel, and look, come, let us go down and confuse their language. The language of coming down is the language of judgment, really. He came down to scatter and to confuse. And that's what we're going to see God do next week with Sodom and Gomorrah. He must judge because of sin. But he deliberately tells Abraham about it, doesn't he? Why? Well, because God's promise to bless the nations with salvation instead of judgment involves Abraham. Specific, the nation that will come from Abraham. Have a look at verse 18 again. Have a look at verse 18 again. He says, Abraham will become a great nation, that's Israel, and all nations will be blessed through him. How? Or verse 19, for God chose him by grace so that in response, Abraham might teach his children to do what is right and just. Literally doing righteousness and justice. Why? End of verse 19, for, well, this is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised. You see that? In other words, God's plan to bless the nations with salvation is going to be through the righteousness of Abraham's descendants, Israel. How does that work? Well, on the next slide, um, so, yep, uh, from Exodus 19, uh, God said to Israel, If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the, though the earth is mine, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see, as Israel obeyed God, as they did what is right, righteous and just, like loving one another, being faithful to one another, 
then they would stand out as a holy nation compared to the nations around them. And they'd stand out like a light in a dark place stands out. And as a light attracts others, so they would attract others from the nations to come to God, to check them out and find out why are they so loving towards one another? Why are they living like this? As a kingdom of priests, they would teach the nations about God, point them to God, that the nations might come to trust in God too. And in so doing, God would graciously bless them with salvation instead of judgment. And all the other blessings that came with being one of his people. That was God's evangelistic plan, still is. And that's how his power to save would work through his righteous people. And that's how he would keep his promise to bless through Abraham. And so here God starts to show Abraham his evangelistic plan. He tells Abraham what he's about to do to Sodom to provoke Abraham to plead, to do the righteous act of praying for Sodom. Like a priest might pray intercede for wicked people. And as he does, God shows Abraham that while his judgment is just, he is very willing to save the wicked because of the righteous. Have a look at verse 23. Abraham stepped forward and said, Will you really sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away instead of sparing the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? You could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of the whole world or the whole earth do what is just? And the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Here Abraham learns two things. First, God's judgment is just. He will not treat the righteous and the wicked the same. The judge of the whole earth is just. And I think you'll come back to that next week. Uh, But second, God will graciously, did you notice, save the wicked from judgment because of the righteous. Did you see that? Abraham doesn't ask God to pluck the righteous out of the city and then, you know, smite the rest with whatever. No, he says to save even the wicked in the city for the sake of the righteous. Did you notice? And God is willing, isn't he? In other words, God is willing to use righteous people to save the unrighteous. And so Abraham continues in verses 27 uh, to 33, uh, bargaining with God, it seems. So what if there's 40 righteous? Okay, no, I won't. What if there's 30 righteous? I won't. What if there's 20? What if there's 10? And God says, I will not destroy it on the account of 10. Verse 33, when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he departed and Abraham returned to his place. I remember going to Fiji one time and there, there you kind of haggle for everything. Um, it was expected that you would negotiate. They actually start their price really high because they expect to negotiate down with uh, all the people there. I used to be able to do it at the good guys, you know, less for cash. Um, and so you could haggle there. 
Uh, I'm not sure how much you can do it today, but when I used to do it, uh, my wife hated it. She'd actually find something else on the other side of the store to look at and just run off there. I quite liked haggling to get a bargain. Um, But it seems like that's what Abraham is doing here, doesn't it? Haggling with God. And yet God allows him to. I mean, even Abraham knows at points he might be pushing it too far. Oh, now that I've been ventured to be so bold, will you let me say it a bit more? God, though, allows him to make a point, which is God is happy to graciously save the wicked because of the righteous. That's what we see all the way through. Or put differently, God is keen to act graciously to save others through those who are righteous. And Abraham needed to learn this lesson because he and the nation of Israel were to be God's righteous people, holy nation, kingdom of priests. God's power and plan was to work through their righteousness to keep his promise of blessing for the nations. Of course, the wicked would still need to repent and trust in God, which, as you'll see next week, they sadly don't. Uh, Yet God still uses Abraham to graciously save some, Lot and his two daughters, who were in the city. In fact, if I can steal a bit of Adam's thunder for next week, in chapter 19, on the next slide, uh, 29, read, So it was, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered who, not Lot, he remembered righteous Abraham and saved Lot. You see, he saved Lot because of Abraham. Yes, God must sadly judge Sodom, but he uses it as an opportunity to teach Abraham that his power and plan to keep his promise of blessing involves working through righteous people. And so to put the whole chapter together, verses 1 to 15, God deliberately reminds Sarah that nothing is too hard for him. Uh, He has the power and the plan to keep his promise of a child. Uh, God does this so that both Abraham and Sarah now will not only keep trusting in him, in God, but also keep living righteously for God, teaching God's ways to their descendants. Because verses 16 to 33, God's power and plan to keep his other promise of blessing involves working through their righteousness. Of course, Abraham's nation of Israel didn't live in righteousness and justice, did they? Uh, They didn't keep God's ways. In fact, God always knew they wouldn't. And so God's power and plan always involved another promised child at his appointed time, who would be righteous and just. And through him, God would keep his promise of blessing to the nations. You know who I'm talking about, don't you? Starts with G's, ends in us. Here's a crowd participation moment. Don't leave me hanging. Who is it? Thank you, all one person. (laughs) You can feel the love. Yeah, it is. It's Jesus. And so on the next slide, let me show you from the Bible so you know I'm not making it up. Uh, From Galatians, we read, but when the set time, the appointed time, God's plan had fully come. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, 
that we might receive adoption as sons. That's not a gender thing, that's to an inheritance thing. The firstborn son got the inheritance, that's what we're going to get. And yet God's plan also involved going through the righteous. Christ died for sins once for all. Who? The righteous one for us, the unrighteous ones to bring you to God. It's this gospel, good news about Jesus, which is God's power to save. Here is the culmination of God's power and plan to bless us here in Melbourne. Sending his son at the appointed time to live a righteous life. And through his righteous life and death and resurrection to bring the blessing of salvation to us unrighteous people. If we believe in Jesus. So do you? Do you believe in Jesus? If you don't, can I say you need to? <laughs> because it's only through this righteous one that God brings the blessing of salvation to you. Do you believe in Jesus? And for us who do, then not only do we have the blessing of salvation, but God has made us one of his righteous people. Uh, which firstly means we are to recognize God for who he is and serve him with our best. We saw that at the beginning, didn't we? Just as Abraham did. And so are you doing that? Now, is God the priority in life, not just a priority? Are you doing what you can to serve him in life or at church? Secondly, it means we can trust his promises to us. Nothing is too hard for him. He has the power, and it's at his appointed time. He has a plan. God's power and plan to keep his promises uh, to us. It, it's not random. He's, it's in control. It will happen. And so we can keep trusting in him. Even when those promises seem laughable. Even when his timing is not our timing. That's when the rubber hits the road, isn't it? But will you? Keep trusting in his promises, because we can. And thirdly, uh, will you live righteous lives for him? See, God has already counted you righteous in his sight, but we are to live righteous lives in the world's sight too. For God continues to work through the righteous to bring the blessing of salvation to the nations as we proclaim the righteous one, Jesus as we pray for people, as we stand out like a light in front of people, as we take opportunities to graciously speak of Jesus to people, God uses our, those righteous acts to save people. So will you live righteously for the sake of others? There's a guy in my Bible study group called Jay, who's legally blind, uh, so he gets an Uber, uh, to Bible study some nights um, or to church. Uh, when the driver asked him where he was going one night, uh, it was a new driver, uh, he didn't give an address. He unashamedly said, I'm going to Bible study. Bible what? <laughs> what is this Bible what? Uh, and over the course of a few weeks, uh, this 
A guy in my Bible study, Jay, lived an openly authentic Christian life. He always tried to get the same Uber driver and for those few weeks he did. He lived this openly authentic Christian life that stood out as different. You know, going on a Thursday night to this Bible study group, asking after this Uber driver when most people really didn't care about the Uber driver, even offering to pray for him and his family. And this Uber driver, a Muslim, started asking questions. In fact, one time the Uber driver dropped him off at church and stayed to listen to church. Now, I'd love to tell you that this Muslim became a Christian. Wouldn't that make an awesome story? But he seems to have stopped driving because uh, Jay and my group can't get him anymore. But the point is, you never know how God will use those righteous acts of Jay to perhaps lead that Muslim to Christ. It might be just one step along his path to salvation. For God's power and plan to keep his promises includes working through the righteous to bring blessing of salvation to others. And so we can keep trusting in him and we are to keep living righteous lives for him. For in the words of the book I started with, our heavenly dad really can do anything. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this reminder from your word that you have the power and a plan to fulfill your promises to us. And Father, we thank you that we have even more evidence that Abraham and Sarah had, for we have the culmination of your power and plan in the righteous one, the Lord Jesus. And so as we look back to the cross and see how you've kept your promises to bring salvation to us, we pray that you would help us to keep trusting in you and to keep living righteous lives for you, serving you with our best, that you might use us to bring the blessing of salvation to others. We ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen.